Thanks, Mick. Uh, if we can turn in our Bibles to Hebrews, um, where Scott was before, uh, chapter 10. Um, it's probably up on the screen as well. I'll just pray before we uh, read the Word of God. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to open your Word. We thank you um, for the words that you have provided to us that we can learn from and um, that we can hear from you through the Bible. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to enter us and um, be with Joel as well as he brings your word to us. We pray a blessing on this service in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter 10 and we start at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bothers washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here ends the reading. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? It's good to have you here. Uh, for those who may not know me, my name is Joel, and it's um, my privilege to be able to take us through these verses once again. If you've been here or if you haven't been here, uh, we've been looking at these verses for like the last two weeks. So this is the third week where we're diving in um, the fir- and basically looking at the three invitations that we're given, where it says, let us draw near. So that's what we looked at the first week. The second week we looked at, let us hold fast to our confession of hope. And then this week we're looking at, let us stir up one another. So we've just been like diving in, unpacking them. That's what we're going to do today with the last one, stir up, which is, um, which is a funny word. It's a funny way to put it. If you have the NIV, it might say spur on, um, but the ESV has gone for stir up, which is, um, I don't know, it kind of gives this sort of negative connotation, yeah? Is it, like, do you get that? Like stir up? Which is exactly what the word means. I like looked into the original word, and it, this is the literal definition of it. A provocation which literally jabs or cuts someone so they must respond. And that's what we're called to do to each other. To literally like poke and prod and, you know, provoke people towards love and good works. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So the only other reference we get to this word is in Acts 15, where um, Paul and Barnabas, they're about to go on a missionary journey, and there's young Mark... Mark wants to come along. Paul says no because he's bailed on them before. And Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. So he's like, yes, Mark's coming along. And they have such a sharp disagreement, such a stir up, that they go their separate ways. That's the only other time this word is used. But the author of Hebrews takes that word and says, let's do that in a good way. Provoke people, stir up one another towards love and good works. Um, the way I sort of thought of it, uh, how many of you have siblings here? Um, of course, I've got siblings. I won't name them so they don't get embarrassed. But um, 
Um, you know, when you have siblings and you grow up with siblings, I don't know if this is all your experience, this is certainly my experience, where you spend so much time with each other, and of course you love each other so much, but then they just know how to push your buttons. Yeah? Like your siblings can push your buttons unlike anyone else can. You know, I can be sitting on a couch, one of my siblings will come up and sit next to me, and like get right next to me, and like start like chatting to me and stuff. And like I just remember as a teenager just hating it. And like it was so innocent, but like you knew that it had this little edge to it. You know, they're just trying to prod you, just trying to provoke you. And like if anyone else did it, it would be fine. But because it's your sibling, you know, people don't know. Maybe all your families are perfect, all right? Ours, look, we love each other now, don't worry. But like going up for a while there, there was some heavy annoyance. And I just think that is sort of the stirring up that we're called to. Like, what if we could actually sort of provoke each other, annoy each other, push each other towards not a negative reaction, not so that we go our separate ways, not so that we lash out in anger like I might have a couple of times, but what if we could actually do that in a way that people responded in love and good works? What if we could sort of push each other, stir up this sense that we need to get out there and do something about it? that we need to go and love and live out the mission that we're called to. So that's what we want to look at this morning. How would that happen? What does that look like? What does that mean? So the first thing, love and good works. That's the first thing I want to focus on, that we are called to love and good works. And that this is something for everyone. I think too often we think that, you know, to live out, you know, to do good ministry things or to do good mission things, to do sort of good works, that that is for the select few, that that is for the spiritually elite, that that is for ministry leaders and stuff. Like, they're the ones to go out there and do something. Um, My role is to rock up the church and just encourage them or support them or whatever. And that we need to recognize that for all of us, we are all called to live out love and good works. Once again, we get this, you know, we've got to look at the context, which we've done the last two weeks, so I'll just touch on it now. But it says right at the start, therefore, since, since we have, one, confidence, confidence in the cross, confidence in what God has done, and two, since we have a great priest, which is Jesus, and he stands in the gap for us, and he knows our weakness, because we have these things, therefore, let us, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stir up one another towards love and good works. So that we have to get the order right here, where we have to recognize that this life of living love and living good works is a response to what God has done. Because if it's anything other than that, it will not last. So because we are loved, because we are saved, because Jesus has done the work, and because God is who he is, Therefore, let us do this. Let us stir up one another towards love and good works. Because we are saved, everything is different. See, because usually the other option is we live this way to try and earn something. I mean, that's what every other religion, every other worldview sort of teaches, that if you live a certain way, you will get certain things. And so that can often be what we bring into our Christianity, that if I love people well, if I do good things, then 
I will earn God's love, then he'll love me, then he'll bless me, then he'll accept me. But that's not what our faith is. Our faith is the opposite of that, that God does love you, he does accept you, and because of what he's done, therefore we respond by living it out. And the order is always important. We cannot neglect that the order is important. Because if we live in a way of trying to earn things, what that leads to is uncertainty in our faith, not the confidence that we've talked about, not the assurance that the verse talks about, but it leads to uncertainty. It leads to burnout, to exhaustion, to being tired. But when we understand what Jesus has done, hopefully that then actually creates in us a sense of joy, a sense of this is how we want to live because we recognize just how much Jesus has done. I mean, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, he says, For the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. That if we're going to try and live to the law, if we're going to try and do these things to sort of tick the boxes, like that is actually going to lead to our death. Not just spiritually, I think, but I think actually even physically, like that, that's going to be tiring, exhausting, destructive in our lives. But if we can instead partner with God and live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, that that would actually lead to life. I think it's really important because sometimes we hear this, you know, message like this where we sort of encourage to live out love and good works and we hear that and we just think, oh man, I've got to do more and my life's busy enough and I can't do that. But what if we could actually recognize that actually the truth is that it could lead to this sense of life when we live with the Spirit and respond and act in line with that. There's a sense of life there, that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction there as we do that in our relationship with God. It's, it's about shifting that mindset around what it means to live and to follow Jesus. I mean, just think about it. Have you ever tried to love someone or a group of people more? Have you ever just thought, I need to be more loving towards them and then just tried to be more loving? Maybe, once again, you're all perfect. But I've had to recognize that, that like, oh man, I need to be more loving. And so you think about, okay, what's love? Love is patient, love is kind, love is... And so I just, all right, I'll just be more kind. I'll just be more patient. Like, have you ever tried that? It doesn't work, yeah? Like, it's like really hard to sort of create that within yourself. To like, just, like, just be more patient. Like... Who can actually do that? I can't. I can't just switch on a switch and go, okay, I'm going to be more patient today. I'm going to be more loving today. Like, I don't know. For me, it just doesn't work. Maybe for you. But I think in general, we cannot just, we cannot just create more love in ourselves. You know, sure, there's, we can create, we can do loving things. We could do some nice, good things for people. But the thing is, we're not called to just act more loving. We're not called to just have more behavior that's nice for people. We're called to be love, like to be loving, to reflect a God who is love. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between actually just doing loving things and being loving people. And I want to suggest that to be loving people, we can only do that through God's power and through His grace. I mean, look at what it says in 1 John 4, where he writes, We love because he first loved us. 
that we love God, we love people because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, and he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That love is not optional. That we're called to live this life of love and it's not optional. And that can be really challenging or it can be really actually exciting to think, actually, what a life to live. I'm sure if we actually thought about, like, I get a chance to be more loving towards people, it's a good thing. But we need to recognize that it's not about doing certain things, but it's about becoming something. And that's through God's power, through His grace, through Him revealing Himself more so that we recognize His love more because we love because He first loved us. So maybe for you, that's like your take home this morning. That I need to ask God to reveal His love and grace to me more so that I can then respond and be more loving. Maybe that's your key thing this morning. We are called to love. It's not optional. But we're also called then to good works. Now, works is always a funny one, particularly in reform settings, because we think works, oh, that's bad. But let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And we think, yep, great, get that, bang, perfect theology, keep that. But we often neglect the second part of the verse where it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you believe, once again, that God loves you, then we love. If you believe that God has saved you, then you also we should believe that God has created you for good works. Which I just think is a super cool thought. That God has prepared good works for you to walk in. I don't know about you, but I, I just was thinking about that this week and I just thought, that's an amazing thought that like, you know, we've been looking at these verses, particularly as like we head into a new year and like these invitations for us to draw near to hold fast and think about what it might look like this year. But like what a thought that like for you this year, not just some of you, but for all of you, for all of us, that God has prepared some good works for us to walk in this year. And I just think that is a really cool thought that he's given you gifts, or he will give you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you resources. He's given you a story, a history. He's given you a personality. He's given you all these things in your life, orchestrating relationships, orchestrating situations, so that this year you can walk in good works. And for me, I just thought, how cool is that? Like, have a look around. Because the thing is, it's not just you, but like, it's all of us. That's just as true for me as it is for the person sitting next to you. That God has prepared good works for them to do that are going to have an impact in His world for His glory, for His kingdom. And I just think that that is a beautiful element of grace, that we're not just saved, but we're redeemed. We're sort of brought back 
were bought back for a price and then given a purpose, given a, a purpose in his kingdom for his glory. So maybe that's something for you to think about today, this week. What are the good works that God has called me to walk in this year? What are the ways that he is orchestrating things, the way that he's wired me so that I can live that out? Now we need to think about that on an individual level, but obviously the the passage that we read is more about the collective level. That the focus is actually stirring up others on that journey. And that's why I think we need to look around a bit and actually see, well, it's good for me to think about what are the love and good, what, like, how can I love more? What are the good works that God's called me to? But the core is actually to think about how you can help others on that journey. That the people around you, that God has prepared things for them to do. And how are we helping people on that journey? What it's going to take is going to take the second thing, which is to get up close and personal. You know, it's a requirement of stirring up is to get up close and personal. I think about the siblings thing again. Like, why can they annoy you so much? Well, because they know you so well. Like, they watch you. They live with you every single day. And so they know that when you're playing PlayStation, if they switch off the TV, that's really going to grind your gears. You know, they know. They've been watching. They know how invested you are. So it requires us to get up close and personal. Let's just look at a couple of the words in our verse. We're going to look at consider. The word consider, the original word means to concentrate by fixing one's thinking. It means to perceive clearly or to understand fully. So we're called to consider, to set our minds upon something, to concentrate on it, to perceive, to understand fully. This word, the words used elsewhere in Hebrews 3 where it says, Therefore, holy brothers, consider Jesus. So the author of Hebrews calls us to consider Jesus, which we get. You know, fix your mind on Christ. You know, understand him. You know, perceive him. Behold him. Like, we get that. But in our verse, we're called not to consider Jesus, but to consider one another. If you were to take the original text and like translate it literally, it says, consider one another toward the stimulating of love and good works, which doesn't quite read too well in English, hence why they changed it. But the important thing is that the considering is of one another, not of the love and good works. The reason why that's important, because I think... Often in churches, we hear something like this and we think, okay, great. Let's brainstorm some ideas of how we can get people more involved. Let's create up a sign-up list so that we can, you know, get more volunteers doing things. Let's, you know, whatever we would do. We think of a strategy to get people more involved so that we can stir up one another towards love and good works. Like that's often we think of, okay, what are the ideas, what are the strategies but here's the thing, this verse is not calling us to consider strategies and ideas, although they are important. The verse is calling us to consider people, to understand them, to perceive where they're at in life, to fix our thinking on the person 
And as we do that, then we'll begin to understand the love and good works that God has called them to. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? That it's not, it's not about the project of getting people to do more things, but it's about the person and understanding that God has called them to something, and I want to walk with them in that. See, the project thing we can do from afar. The project thing we can just, you know, come up with a system, and come up with a structure and get it done. But the people thing all of a sudden requires a relationship where we have to get up close and personal so that we can stir them up towards love and good works. The focus is completely different. That we're not just sort of here to just sing songs together. We're not just here just to sort of, you know, eat food and support each other through the ups and downs of life. While those things are important, our call is to move each other to follow Christ. To walk with each other on this road where we actually understand and then we can help each other on that journey. So we need to consider one another. The other word I wanted to focus on is encourage. Scott talked a bit about it at the start. Once again, the literal definition of the original word is to make a call from being being close up and personal. So it's coming beside someone and then saying something, making a call. The emphasis of the word is that you cannot do it from a distance. You cannot be, if you, I mean, you can be in a crowd, you can be in a distance and you can applaud, you can critique, you can congratulate. But if you really want to encourage someone, I believe the Bible teaches that we have to actually come beside them, come close to them, draw near to them. Hebrews three thirteen it says, encourage one another daily. I mean, I don't know what that looks like in our culture. You know, obviously their culture is a bit different. They would have lived a lot closer. But what would it look like for us to encourage one another daily? Once again, it's not just, all of a sudden, it's not just a, a once a week commitment where we stand together for a few hours. And how do we actually get up close and personal with each other so that we can encourage each other, so that we can help each other on this journey. You know, you need, I want to encourage you to think about who are you encouraging? Who are the lives that you are investing into? And maybe if you are to encourage them daily, uh, like I said, we need to figure out what that looks like. But if we're to encourage them like, like the Bible's calling, maybe it's just got to be one or two. One or two people that you are encouraging, that you are investing into, that you are helping lift up. But I think the reality is, is that we are too void of encouragement in our culture. I think we can all say that pretty easily. You know, we're quick to tear down. We're quick to sort of critique, but slow to encourage, slow to sort of really speak positive words that lift up someone. You know, we had a cool moment. Um, One of the things I loved about our school is trip, you know, sort of two months ago now, we had a leader who came with us who sort of never really led in that context before. She was only a couple of years older than the students. She was a bit nervous, but she did like an awesome job. And like we just kept encouraging her. Like she led her first devotion. She was super nervous and it was like really good. I was like told her it was really good. Anyway, we just kept like she kept stepping up. We kept encouraging her. 
kept stepping up again, encouraged her again. You know, and there was a few things we sort of said, hey, like, you need to think about this or whatever. And then eventually, like, sort of high point of the trip for me, one of them was that we went to a prison. There's, like, 200 men behind bars, like, singing worship songs at the top of their lungs. It was really cool. And then, like, we had asked, I had asked her to speak. Like, she was the one giving the message. And she did it, and she did awesome. Like, just encouraged her. And then she got back, and she led a beach mission trip, like, just the other week. And it's just, like, so cool to see someone step up, see, and then, you know, encourage them, and see them step up again. And keeping, and it's, like, that literal word of, like, encouragement, like, to give courage. Like, when you speak positive, true things, it gives people courage to actually step up in their journey of following Christ. You know, I even had it here last week. I was talking to some people after the service, and they said some things about the message. And, like, I'm not saying this to part, like, I sort of, like, got goosebumps as I was speaking. Not because, like, oh, my gosh, Joel, you're so amazing. But, like, there's things that I'd been praying about, thinking about, working on that they said then and then they recognized said and it sort of just it lined up you know what they said was positive is true and it lined up with sort of what God was working in my heart and what I just think what if we could do that what if we could live with each other in such a way that we knew what was going on in their lives and we could speak positive true God-ordained things into their lives that would then give them courage to step into this journey of love and good works. What if we could do that more and more as a church? Seeing people step up, encouraging them, giving them the courage to take another step. And as we see them take that step, give them courage again to keep walking out that journey. So maybe this year is the year where we actually draw near to each other where we get up close and personal. And it won't be easy. You know, let's not, you know, kid ourselves. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. There are things that you might be uncomfortable sharing. There are things that you might not want people to know. And you can block people out. You can not step in. You know, it's not easy to do this stuff. But I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that it's necessary is necessary for us to live in such a way. As he says, don't get in the habit of not meeting together. 2,000 years ago, still, people are in a habit of not meeting together. And, and I think it's not just meeting together, but it's like it's neglecting the responsibility that we have to each other. I think that's really the issue. Because here's the thing, you can attend... And not be present, or not be involved, or not get involved. So it's not, we're not, it's not like we're after perfect attendance, and we want all the chairs filled. Do you know, like, let's, like, that's not what we're after here. That's not what God's after. He's after a people that have, their hearts are committed. Committed to Him and committed to each other. But commitment is a scary word. Yeah, who likes a Commitment. Like, we live in a commitment phobia culture, yeah? We have so many options, and so everything becomes optional. So we don't commit. Because we have so many options, we feel like, and I, 
often we sort of bag out young people for these things, but the reality is it's like all of us now in our culture where we have, we have so many options that we feel like we might get a better offer at some point. And so we just leave all of our options open in case we get a better offer and we don't commit. We don't want to feel tied down because we've sort of become obsessed in our culture with this idea of freedom, which whole nother thing. I won't get into that because I watched some documentaries this week and, oh man, mess with my head. We're not free, but that's all right. Anyway, totally a different issue. But we don't want to feel tied down. We don't want to feel tied down so we don't commit. You know, social media, we see everyone else's highlights and we feel the reality of our behind the scenes and um, it looks good everywhere else and so we bounce around from place to place or thing to thing once again not committing anywhere or relationships can get hard they can get challenging require work maybe you've been burnt before by the church or by other people and so we put our walls up and we we don't commit there's so many things in our culture that work against us committing to each other and committing to God. But unless we commit to God and commit to his family, we cannot fully obey the call and the commands of God. Like It's as simple as that. Unless we commit to God, commit to his family, we cannot be faithful followers of his. Like, it just doesn't line up with what's in Scripture. And I think we need to understand that commitment is actually, like, a good thing. You know, none of the decretors are here today, but, you know, Uncle Crosby and Aunt Yvonne, they celebrated 50 years of their wedding, like, marriage, just the other week when they went to Sri Lanka together. Like, 50 years. And then, like, I've talked to Uncle Crosby. I've heard some of the things he has to do now that Aunt Yvonne's, like, not well. Like, they're not those kind of things that you dream of when you, you know, plan to get married. But he just says, like, this is the commitment that we make. And it's like an actual, like, there's a beautiful element to that. Of being that committed to someone that nothing's going to change that. Like, imagine if there were people in your life, in this church, that were that committed to you. And not just committed to, like, holding your hand through the tough times although that's important but actually committed to helping you follow Christ better that's the emphasis of this verse you know the other things is in other verses don't get me wrong but like there are people committed to helping you follow Jesus better who are going to encourage you who are going to discourage you from other things be in your life in such a way I'm sure if we could imagine that, you would go, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah? Yeah. But here's the thing. We hear that and our call, you know, the, the, the danger when I say imagine that thing is immediately you go into con- consumer mode and you imagine what would that would be like for you. But well, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to think, not what does it look like to consume that, but what does it look like to contribute to that? What does it look like for you to actually commit to people around you? Because I think the challenge is, is we expect these things, but we don't create them. We're not just called to expect everyone to be committed to me because I'm part of this church, but what does it look like for you to actually create that amongst 
whether it's your life group, whether it's a grow group, whether it's your ministry team, whatever, your family, what does it look like to actually create that sense of commitment where we're encouraging, where we're considering each other, we're helping each other to move towards love and good works? Don't just expect that, but create it. So I want to encourage you this morning, what does it look like for you to commit to the body of Christ? Once again, it doesn't necessarily mean perfect attendance, although being present is an important part. But what does it look like to have this heart of commitment that actually I'm getting up close and personal with people. I'm letting people in. I'm getting involved in people's lives whether it's getting involved in a ministry or mission, whether it's just being consistent, being present, getting, you know, whatever it is. What does it look like for you to be committed and involved? What does the writer of Hebrews say right at the end? Because the day is drawing near. The day is the reference to the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. And, you know, There's a whole bunch of writing in in the Bible about the end times that sort of makes your head spin a bit. You're not quite sure what it means. For me, there's a few things clear. And one of the things is clear is that the closer it gets to Jesus' return, the harder it is to follow Jesus. Like whatever you read in the prophetic writings, that's pretty clear. The closer the day gets, the harder it is to follow Jesus. And so more and more, we need to encourage one another we need not neglect meeting together we need to stir up one another it's a good love and good works that we need each other to follow jesus together so don't give up meeting together commit to one another consider one another encourage and stir up one another towards love and good works and once again, that this is not pushing people to a, a religion. It's not pushing people to live a certain way because I think that's often how it can come across. But we need to figure out how, does it, how do we actually help people to live in this grace-filled relationship with Jesus that overflows into love and good works. The order is always important. Yeah, look at it. Hebrews 10. Just a few verses after, it says this in verse 34. It says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the writer of Hebrews has invited them, you know, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stir up one another to love and good works. And a few verses later, he just says, you did it. You went and visited those in prison. You, you held fast during times of trouble. But look at that. Since you knew. How did they do that? Why did they do that? Because they knew the hope. They knew what was coming. They knew what they, Jesus had done. The order is always important. So I want to encourage you to dive in to what God has to ask him to reveal himself more so that we can walk with him. I just want to finish off by 
reading Hebrews 10, the verses 19 to 25, but from the message, this is Eugene Peterson's translation, he says this, and I just love how he puts it. So friends, we can now, without hesitation, we can walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So, let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. For he always keeps his word. And let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. I love that thought. Let's see how inventive we can be, stirring up one another to love and good works. You know, when it comes to annoying your siblings or it comes to playing pranks on camp and annoying your leaders, you can get pretty creative. You can get pretty inventive. You figure out some ways to do some things. What if we could actually take that, harness that, and use that to actually help each other in our relationship with God? That we wouldn't just be about entertaining and having fun and having a great time together, but actually we'd go, you know what? Life is found as we follow Jesus. And so let's help each other on that journey, trusting that he has so much in store for us. Amen? Amen. So we're not going to finish with a song. Sorry. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you. I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to invite you as we have tea and coffee, as we have lovely biscuits that I ate five of yesterday while my mum made them. Um, I want to encourage you to encourage someone. Find someone. Chat about life. Chat about what's been going on and encourage them. Maybe you want to pray for them. Maybe you want to hear about what they're doing this year. Try and understand them more, hear their story. How do you ask them? This is like, ask them, how did you become a Christian? When did you become a Christian? How do you, I don't know, be a cool thing to do, wouldn't it? It's a bit scary. It's a bit harder to sort of get into that rather than just talk about the cricket and all that. But cricket's boring now. Who cares about one day? So, um, now. All right, so what's going to do? I'm just going to invite you, find someone over tea and coffee, encourage them. Think about how you can spur them on, stir them up towards love and good works. And then let's take that into our week. Let's take it into our year. What would it look like for us as a church to actually live this out? All right? All right. Have a blessed Sunday. We'll see you next week. Andrew's going to be speaking. And um, if you'd like prayer for anything, people up here who would love to pray with you. And um, yeah, have a great Sunday.